0: Right. Okay. Here we go. Here it comes. Yeah, we talk games. Games, the We Talk Games Arcade Podcast program that's been about interviews, going back to the interview days. David Wise is here today. David, on We Talk Games, we like the industry guests to have a good time after we finish our talks in games. I like people to say, "Oh, that was a great interview," and not like it's a forced great interview. And I sure. like to not prep. Just go off of memory. For this interview, I wanted to just go and grab a, a list of the, all the games you did music for. Because, you know, okay. I'm not going to remember all those. I'm going to remember Hollywood Squares. But, you know, for the, <laughs> for the majority of games, I'm, I'm not going to remember. So I simply went to go on the Internet and just grab a list. And I went to the site. I just peeked these two or three words. And already I was like, I got too much information. And then Kyle sent me a link to a Donkey Kong song, but it was from Game Informer's uh, interview. Okay. And, yeah, and by the second sentence, I had to shut it down, shut it down. Just, just from grabbing those two little glimpses. I thought, how the heck am I going to even approach this in some new type of way that, you know, isn't going to be the same old thing? Uh, I got to, you know, Kyle could have said, David, would you come on? We talk games. And then you just sent me a hyperlink and then I just would read the, the, the stories yeah. from the hyperlink to, to our listeners. So I think I have a good way to get in here. I think I have a good angle, a good approach. And so uh, good luck. So. I was born in '66. I think that we probably hit the same type of music in that late '80s era. So we we could well have done, yes. In '79, I started my first band, and it was actually 1980, but I like to say '79 because it sounds cooler. But uh, and you know, in '79, I think it was just me and two acoustic guitars and maybe some. uh, (laughs) I just remembered in the coal regions, my buddy. George Georgie, I'm gonna say. I'm not gonna say George Mirin, I'm gonna say Georgie, and his neighbor Steve. We went in his basement because George said, I, 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 we're, "Steve and I are starting a band," and I went down there, and no fooling, it was it was like rack toy blister pack guitar and and you know harmonica okay. and like a tambourine, uh-huh. and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> what
1: sort of band was it? If it was um, with those instruments?" <laughs> I don't you know they just
0: started b- banging on them and strumming and of course there's no tuning one of these little plastic guitars with the mm-hmm. nylon strings I don't know what type of band they were gonna start maybe something like uh, the Virgin fugs I guess that would be the okay. closest. yeah from there, I don't know where it went. It was like rock and roll type of stuff going on, but it was just, you know, your standard we didn't we didn't even have keyboards. We just had guitar, bass, uh, and at one time I think we had three guitarists, which was kind of odd and then one guitarist had eh, who cares. But anyway, so through that and then into the 80s, we went from being Epicurean to being the Cabochie Gogo in 87. So I was doing like four, some four track stuff because everybody else gave up on rock and roll and went to teach at Brandeis. And then now some of those geniuses are, teaching like really advanced students and stuff like that in, uh, yeah. in the MIDI. So I was doing a lot of four-track stuff, backwards acoustic guitar and stuff, and uh, just in my attic. And then I met a fella in a bleachery, a bleachery of all places where you work on material. And he had, uh, he, just, he just got the Insonic EPS 16 Plus. I think yeah, he, man. I think he had a Mirage, and he had, he had another keyboard um, uh, MIDI sync to it. And I think he was using a Commodore for, his, uh, for a lot of his sequ- sequencing. Sequence, sequins. He was like Elvis with the sequins. Because Liberace said, listen, you can't dress all in black. you got to be flamboyant. We exchanged tapes, and he loved my stuff, and I thought his stuff was great. And I said, this is how I think. I think with these horns. I think with this orchestration. So that's sort of the way I came into that. And then from there, this is the first sampling sequencer that was stereo, unless you had uh, like a Fairlight or something. Kate Bush, I think, could afford that. So I would have to sell my house to afford that. That was sort of my introduction. When we went in the studio, I think they had an Atari ST back then to put our MIDI tracks on and then play the sounds off of here, there, and everywhere else. And a lot of my samples and stuff went into, there were user groups for these and Sonics and uh, yeah. so they went all around the world and you'd, you'd hear your samples you know they were your samples because of the tones and the the ways that you, the way that you placed them on next to the keys and if they were polyphonic and you know uh what you could do with the the two different tone wheels and stuff like that so you're like oh my gosh i'm into janet jackson or uh jesus jones or something like that so how did you start down your musical career and then we'll get into the the gaming stuff but first i want to get like an introduction to what your life was like
1: similar thing had a band as as you do and um i was working in a music shop which is how i got my break into video games but i too had an eps 16 plus that was my first sampler and that got upgraded later to an emu which um even by today's standards would have cost a lot of money so it was whilst playing in the band and working in the music shop when two gentlemen came in and asked for me to demo um, MIDI keyboards and it had a Yamaha CX-5 mm-hmm. music computer if you've, you've heard of that one
0: yes.
1: and um, Yamaha come in and, and said look you know somebody needs to learn how to use this and it, it seems like the most complicated thing in the world <laughs> and it wasn't until the, the boss of the shop who after three months of this Yamaha CX-5 collecting dust said look if somebody wants to learn this you can have an extra day off per week I was sold at that point so uh um uh, I started to learn. It took me about three or four weeks to get it to work, but I got the sequence working on that. And then I hooked it up to uh, lots of keyboards Juno you know, keyboards, core keyboards, that kind of stuff. Then there was a Poly 800 in there, and you know the, the Jupiter keyboards that have now got MIDI, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, and the EPS uh, Roland drum machines, that kind of stuff. And I was playing lots of early stuff on there, like like Duran Duran, a band called Go West. Um, sure, many. Sure. I used to sell loads of those. I could sell those things like fried potatoes or sweets to children. Uh, and there were so many. And th- these gentlemen had asked for this demo, and I ran out for material. And they said, Do you have anything else? So I, 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 I gingerly said, Yes. So I've got some of my own material that I've been working on, which I've been using in the band as well. So I played it to them, very embarrassed. At the end of it, they, they said, Oh, it probably sounds like monsters, that does. And, I wasn't quite sure whether that was good or bad, but they, they said, have I got an office? So I was like, great, i have got another people, sold on finance here. Uh-huh. But uh, we went into the office and they offered me a job to work at Rare Limited. And that's that's how I got my break into it and carried on playing in the band for a while and also working at Rare. Wow. So that was, was my, my break into music and video games, really. Isn't it so much about...
0: Just that timing, just that luck, and then you're fortunate enough, then you have to earn your good fortune. There's so many people that just think, oh, you know, I'm a self-made person, I taught myself, but you need to have that serendipity happen, and then it's time to earn that good fortune, and you certainly have earn- <laughs> over-earned, I think. I think you're an over-earner.
1: A lot of people say it's being in the right place at the right time, which of course it is, but... Also, to go with that, you've got to be in the right place at the right time with the right skills that somebody finds useful. And that's all the stuff that you've probably done on your own to learn your craft. So that when somebody does come in and they need somebody like you, you can actually run with the opportunity that they've given you.
0: Very true. So it's, it's,
1: true. it's a big combination. And as you say, you then have to earn the trust that they've given you and come up with the goods, really. Hopefully we did that. Indeed. So I was thinking about,
0: we both hit that sampling keyboard around the same time. That was a big deal. And I mean, I had to finance that back then. So I was thinking about a lot of keyboards and then a lot of people, I guess they all started around 67. And I just wanted to read this to you, which is completely off topic. But everyone always mentions when the Moogs came out. And I, in fact, I, I had a mini Moog from Realistic. I just remember wow. that. Yeah, that was nuts. But... Everyone talks about the Moog in 67, and and, uh, I don't know what Lothar and the Hand people used. But I know a lot of people mention the Beatles and the Doors and stuff that used that. But I just, uh, I said, what about Explorer? And so I found my album, and it's called Explorer, a totally new electronic musical instrument in recording, exclamation I'm just going to read the first little paragraph here. But this was 1967 as well. So even though this isn't Moog, and I'm not, I'm not even sure who made the Explorer, Explorer two is a new musical instrument weighing approximately 85 pounds. I don't know how many combos wow. it is. <laughs> While this instrument physically resembles some of the so-called combo organs, which <laughs> it sounds like they're really talking that down, which have appeared on the market in recent years, It is really not an organ. When a key is depressed, electronic circuits are actuated in the manner of an electronic organ. However, when you hear Explorer perform, you will know that it is a different breed of cat. So okay, it's a, it's a dude. Quite but, something. It's it's amazing, and you know they just do your regular yesterday take five. You know they're doing a uh, Mister Bach meets Batman. Oh, that's what I didn't want to talk about too. Is uh, his classical influences, but um it's just a, one dude, and he has the explorer set up next to an Allen electronic organs, which are right from right around where I live. That's where they make Allen organs. Uh, Larry Ferrari was a big uh, Alan organ player. So he's playing Alan organ with one hand and the explorer with another, and then he's got a drummer, and that's it, and that's what makes up this album. I just found that really funny how they worded that, which has nothing to do with, we got into it 20 years later than that. Did you ever do things with computers, like computer science when you were younger?
1: No, I was. Um, to be honest, my father—he was into computer science. He worked at, as a lecturer at the university, and he was teaching people computer science. And um, I was playing in a rock and roll band, so I, I was not interested at all. In fact, before I, before I played keyboards, I was playing drums. Okay. And uh, uh, before the eighties, I was playing. It was quite. A, I don't know. I was still at high school, but I was. I was playing drums in a punk rock band.
0: All right. I like that. I wrote a song called I'm Losing My Mind, and my band was mad at me. We're a rock band, and we were doing this punk stuff.
1: (laughs) So uh, anyway, the folks weren't very pleased with me. So um, yes, I was definitely not into computer science at that time. So it wasn't really until I was at this music shop selling drums, and they wanted somebody to learn this computer. That was was my first introduction to computers.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Quite late to the game. Uh, My one buddy did it, and I thought, this is weird. The first time I had a, a, the Apple Two SE, I think, was 1993, I think. That's yeah. When I started having that. And I needed it just for Photoshop and a, a, a program called Infinity, Oh, and Quark Express, because uh, that was when we were going to put out our first CD, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So now you're at where? What do you do
1: when you get there? It's very limited in the Warwickshire countryside, miles away from anywhere. There's probably a post office for selling stamps and so you can post letters. Mm-hmm. And rare is in a farmhouse, it's called Van A Farmhouse. The only other thing in Twy which is where it was based, is a zoo with lots of animals that weren't very interesting. Because <laughs> the, the only came alive when they wanted something to eat. So they we were last year, miles away from anywhere, and I spent my first three weeks working there playing Super Mario Brothers, the first one on the NES entertainment system. Okay. And whilst I was working at the music shop, the the people at went there they, they bought all of this gear: Roland drum machine, Poly 800, Corg SQD one sequencer, and an Alpha Juno two. And they put me in an office and they said, "Look, you've got three weeks. We need to get a score written." So I was quite happy writing this music with all these great pieces of kit. And then they gave me the news after writing this that I needed to put it onto the NES, which mm. um, is quite limited, really. You know capability-wise, drums don't really sound like drums, and you've got two, I don't know, saw waves or square waves or pulse waves, I don't know, and this triangle wave, which sounds like an owl hooting. So it was quite a challenge, and and to be honest, I really wasn't so good. I think my first game was slot. I did the best I could, but I went on to learn a, a huge amount of how to make very limited resources sound quite convincing. It took... Three years, so uh, yeah, it took quite a while. Sorry,
0: I, you were I went back and listened to Slalom, and I thought this sounds like an NAS title. It fits right in, even though it was there. Then, and everyone remembers RC Pro Am and uh, Snake, yeah. Rattle and Roll and um, Cobra Triangle, and all those when they started getting into those um, sort of poly shapes. Once they started integrating that with their with their games, you know, Rare really stood out. And you worked mm-hmm. on. All three of those games, Cobra Triangle and Uh, Think Run Our Own. Absolutely.
1: Time, you know, they're coming with these games that the very talented composers in Japan have been coming up with, like uh, Yoko Yokoshimamura and so many very talented composers that they come in the put the cottage and say, Listen to this and I could clearly hear that it was so much better than the stuff I'd done. So I I needed to put my game and go on a very big learning curve of how to make your soundtracks sound better with doorbell capabilities. And, um, yeah, it, it, we, we got there. So some of those later tracks actually stand out as being decent enough to listen to. Although um, I wouldn't put them on out of choice, but, you know, they are okay. That's certainly a lot better than uh, Slalom. I mean, it was, it was okay at the time. It, going back in history for when it was then, it was absolutely. okay, but certainly absolutely. the three years of working on that non-stop, seven days a week, ten hours a day, made a difference.
0: I thought it moved the game along. I thought the ending of the race... Was straight out of the early NES games, fit perfectly. And even the intro was interesting. One of the words I, I glanced at was that there was no MIDI in NES. So those oh, no, popped right yeah. out at me. So, le- could I please hear about
1: that? Well, no. So, obviously, when I started writing music at Rare, I was playing it on the keyboard, but then I'd have to transcribe it and turn it into hex. So, there'd be one hex number for the note pitch, and there'd be another hex number for the actual length and you'd have to do that four times for each channel to write a tune could take quite a long time um i used to cram through the whole week and i'd I'd do four hours in the morning four in the afternoon four in the evening and i'd probably get a few tunes done or enough for an nes soundtrack done in a week or perhaps two weeks but there was a lot of coding at 6502 subroutines and lots of numbers and lots of checking because you transcribe this thing into the computer and start typing away then you'd have to res- assemble it wait, listen, realize what was wrong, go back, edit the code rinse and repeat hundreds of times before you even had a tune that was okay and at that point you pass it over to everybody else to listen to and hope they liked it and if they didn't you'd start again That was one thing was about a
0: Slalom was that it had a lot of chords that I didn't notice as much in your later works
1: That's I come from a piano type background so the chordal thing was more what I was familiar with but if you're using chords then it doesn't sound as pretty so you've only got three notes so there's all the suggesting of chords anyway
0: right right right
1: yeah and if you want to lead sound to sound quite nice you have to um take one channel and delay it so you've got kind of a pseudo repeat on there and that makes it sound bigger and nicer there are all these challenges that you'd have to use to try and get things to sound a bit better.
0: And throughout all your time uh, at Rare creating games for the, the Nintendo Entertainment System, was that how it was through the entire time, just using hex code? Or did they finally well, what, come out with some type of kits? It,
1: it was the N64 before we started using MIDI. Wow. Uh, the, Super NES, although it had MIDI, it would take quite a large chunk of the data. There was only 64K in there. And also, they decided that they wanted to use half of that 64K for decoding the graphics on the games. Fortunately, it didn't work like that. It was too slow. So Mm. even though I had my 64K of memory, if I used MIDI, I'd have even less memory to use because of the MIDI on the system. So I decided against that and carried on typing away in hex.
0: Wow, so even the Super Nintendo didn't have that ability? It had it, but we chose not to use it because of limited resources. Gotcha, gotcha. How about things like the handheld, the Game Gear, the Game Boy? Yeah, they were all hex. Oh, all wow. Type, wow. That's all,
1: awesome. all typed in. It's amazing. Well, uh,
0: yeah. I tried to look through the games and see if anything stuck out like a, like a sore thumb. Because, trying to find something that looked sort of out of what your genre normally is, but then I realized that uh, like the, the, the games that you make are gonna, for the most part, be multi-genre. If they're action platforms, you have your different environments, so you have to change the music to to meet those environments. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I just decided to look for things that looked interesting to me. You also did uh, WWF WrestleMania for the NES. Yes. You transcribed the the existing theme songs to code. Yes, and that's you, right. You arranged it. You arranged it with the, the limited amount of sound channels.
1: Yeah, so we, we, we listened to all of the, the tunes, decided which ones we wanted to use, and then tried to make it sound as good as possible on the NES, which was quite a challenge because some of those songs were quite complicated. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it sounds, sounds fantastic. That's a memorable title, and those songs stick in your head. Those versions of the songs, even compared to the lyrical. Uh, versions of those numbers they really stick in there and uh, you don't get tired of them i like that that's also very important uh, when you're talking about uh, nes titles and, and limited amounts of memory now what company were you working for then
1: uh, that i was still rare so i worked for rare for almost 20 years so the, the whole thing was really rare from the beginning to about 10 years ago
0: so did rare license out
1: yeah, we, we Rare as a company licensed out many games to different to publishers like Acclaim and, and other people. Gotcha. Okay, now that makes sense
0: because you also did Jordan versus Bird. So I thought yes. That was, that was, and and how do you write for that? And uh, and it came out perfect for it. And I did mention Hollywood Squares, and I and I was serious about that. Um, yeah. You also did Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, Jeopardy mm-hmm. Junior, or something. And
1: uh, but no, you didn't do Remote Control, huh? I don't think so. Okay. It doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the time whilst we, we were there, obviously we wanted to be working on our own IP and doing adventure games and things that we would have preferred to be doing, but we had to fund that. So um, that was why we did quite a lot of conversions because it paid quite well and enabled us to do the things that we really wanted to do for the future. It's oh, so like that's working the- in a music store. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it it, it kind of... Got us to where we wanted to be, but it was still fun doing it. And also, it's a great learning curve. As you say, those WWF or WWE as it is now, those those songs are good songs, and they do stick with you even now.
0: Absolutely. But one thing that really stuck out was the fact that you did the score for Pinbot. We interview several people that are either involved in pinball or create pinball, like Steve Ritchie. And uh, so you did the music for Pinbot, and that is something I would like to know more about, because the physical table had very subdued, ambient type of music with just a lot of beeps and boops and noise and hum, squares and signs, and as you mentioned, triangle waves and stuff like that, and that's what made the beats, was that noise in different chunks. How did you go about doing that for Williams Williams had to approve this or yeah that...
1: oh yeah absolutely so I, I actually went over to Williams at some point in Chicago which was fun that was my first trip to America but that was for the Super NES that was for the arcade board that became Killer Instinct but before that we were talking to Williams about Pinbot obviously they were involved and they sent the soundtrack over but because it was quite well, it's a great soundtrack but it as you say, it's very, amb- it's very specific for the actual machine, so we had to adapt those tunes or create tunes that would work in an NES environment, as in, you know, plug it into a home computer and off you go. Right, right. So it just needed a bit, a bit more movement than the, the actual pin machines that they, they were using at that time, which is a shame, because I, I thought they were great scores and it would have been nice to have done something very similar. But we, we just had to adapt what we were working with.
0: But you had some voice samples just like the original pinbot did how the heck did you do that
1: it was mark betteridge who was the main programmer on it he was very good at getting that stuff and you can actually put samples in the nes that they sound scratchy and you can't have any other music going on at the same time you can only have the the actual sample um we probably squeezed enough memory and compressed those samples enough just so we could get them in there right right yeah so that's, that's really down to Mark. He, he was very good at that technical stuff.
0: I just thought of the Floating 12, the Floating 12 uh, sampling <laughs> processing. I don't know why the hell that popped into my mind. Did you also work on high speed or just on PinBot?
1: I'm not sure. Okay. There were so many. And oh, yeah,
0: that's true. The, the, I didn't see high speed on your list. But when I talked to Steve Ritchie, who created the high speed uh, pinball table and then its uh, successors, he didn't know anything about these
1: games. Mm, Okay. It it rings a bell, but I I can't remember. The the company was growing and we were getting more programmers and more artists at that time. And there was a lot of work for me trying to get everything done on on time. So if it took a week or two, as soon as you went back in on the Monday morning, there'd be a new game to do and you knew that you're going to have to work all week Mm -hmm. to try and get the next one done. So there there was this big flow of stuff. So you had to come in fresh, roll your sleeves up, get on with it quite a high output of games that we, we, we were working on. Right on. So whether I did high speed, I, it rings a bell, not wonders. So I, I don't know is the answer.
0: Those two pinball titles, I rarely see them even mentioned when they talk about pinball for the NES. You know, they normally talk about pinball and rock and ball, and there's I I can't recall that, a one role-playing pinball game. So when you were working on the NES, you said you played Super Mario Brothers for a week. A few weeks. Well, ago. three three weeks,
1: three okay. weeks solid. I think after that I went on to Zelda, you know, the, the first one on the NES. Mm-hmm. That was a huge mistake because I'm quite addicted when it comes to video games. So if I really get into something, I will not do anything else but play that particular video game.
0: Yeah, that's so sort of I, where I wanted to go. What did you have at home at the time when you began working? I
1: had um, ping pong for the Atari.
0: Okay, so you you um, you were a big pong person too. Okay.
1: Well, it's
0: it was. Oh, you had the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Yeah, that's okay. right.
1: It was, it was pretty much the only game on it when it came out, and so it was really the NES that I used at work where I played games because I was there. Seven, we all were. Uh, we seemed to be on a mission uh, to try and get as many games out and make them as good as possible. So we, we put lots of time in. Whilst we were there, there were game consoles to use, so we got on and used them.
0: Was Rare locked into a contract with n- Nintendo for you know X amount of years? Was Rare able to develop for other platforms as well?
1: At that particular time, we were definitely developing mainly for the NES, but we were developing as well for companies who developed also for the NES. Gotcha. Mainly Nintendo, but I, I wasn't really involved in the business side of things, so I, I couldn't really comment on the intricacies involved in that side of things.
0: I was just wondering, like, when you started getting other systems in there, like the Mega Drive or the the Game Gear or whatever else was starting to come down the line.
1: Yeah, I mean, they they were always there. And if the opportunity came along and somebody wanted a conversion onto those systems, then we'd we'd gladly entertain the idea. The Genesis, the Sega Genesis, that, that was a good console to work on because the sound chip was actually quite decent.
0: Right, right the sound chip was the master system so yeah the So, so YM yeah.
1: 2612 i think it is on that, that particular it's,
0: that's pretty amazing console.
1: i picked the st instrument with the that does a great job of emulating it just a few weeks ago but i haven't had time to get around to playing with it yet it's one of those things that it might i might never do it but it would be nice to get time to do that gotcha super
0: glove ball wow Oh, yeah. Yes. So what I want to know is you, you mentioned that you start doing some hex. You then wait a little while and then you listen to the playback and then you go back and you correct your mistakes. But how do you not just listen to the playback, but know that it's going to match what's going on on screen?
1: Yeah, I guess that's kind of where the skill of writing music for video comes games comes in you you try and match it up as best you can there's whilst you're playing you've obviously got a sense of tempo how fast you're playing so that's always a a good start and then music's a bit almost a bit like painting by numbers to some degree as in if you're going to do a horror score there are certain cliches that you need to use to make it sound like a horror score Mm -hmm. if you're doing a fun happy score there'll be certain disney-esque cues that you might use there's so many things aren't there um, Definitely. With genres of music. And if, obviously, if it's, I don't know, if if it's a racing game and it's set in the Midwest, then banjo styles and that kind of stuff are the things that you want to be looking at doing and emulating.
0: A long time ago, we had Tommy Tallarico on. I think he might have been oh, like yeah, our first absolutely. guest. And we talked okay. about Earthworm Jim and I was like, Where where the hell you, you just get banjos? There's no banjo players. The music to that was just uh, so wacky it fit though, but it kind of hit you out of left field there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what left good, field good, for good cricket. Soundtrack. Is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure either. <laughs> Let's see. World games.
0: Yes. That's sort of like a, a good jump up. I did the voiceover for realistic summer sports simulator. So this, this that's an indie game. But this title is a great example of how the music is sparse. The music is just used as an interlude or uh, an introduction to the next event. How do you work with the person that's doing the sound effects?
1: So not, as I said, uh, mentioned earlier, Mark Betrich Mark he was normally the person doing the sound effects. Okay. Or, or Chris Damper, who was one of the directors there. And... With some games, like racing games and with sports games, it would have been really hard to have music playing all the time. Sure. Uh, as, w- as well, you know, you might be playing it for quite a long time as well. It would get quite monotonous. So we, we made the decision to have the music for, for introducing things or between levels and then concentrate all the sound resources on making the sound effects, which because that reaction is really important. You hit something, you, you want to feel that you've hit a ball, so the sound effects become really important at that point. And so we prioritize the sound effects during gameplay for sports games.
0: And I love that. I love that about particularly that title and using the the noise to make the uh, like the weightlifter. Yes, I mean that that's that's so perfect. In fact, in a lot of sports titles, I end up turning music off even though I like it. It's just not that's not how the sport happens. You know, it doesn't happen during the during the actual
1: play. Sure. I think with many games, they have a, a tendency to overuse the music, which is a shame because music works really well when you're highlighting things and it's serving a job. And if it's there all the time, it kind of dilutes the effect of it.
0: Absolutely. You also did Danny Sullivan Indie Heat, and that also caught my attention because I think that that opening theme is a very recognizable type of element of a lot of your compositions just that style of arpeggio or just scale that you're using there I, I'm not sure if you, you hit the, the Phrygian mode at any point but uh, <laughs>
1: my, my music theory isn't so good um, I have a my, own in, my, my internal way of working out music theory so you could be saying something that I use quite readily and I wouldn't even know <laughs> But
0: you have that sort of um, classical type of arpeggio happening, and I'm not sure if you had any influences. Well, you said that you started out playing drums, so that's kind of hard to have. Buddy Rich really wasn't a composer for Tchaikovsky or something like that. Uh, nah. but, <laughs> but those little riffs, those little runs that you do uh, on the keyboard or on the Whatever type of uh, uh, sound it's to be emulating a xylophone, a, a harpsichord or whatever, there's a very distinctive type of style to that. So was there any influence from that, or is that just how your fingers went on a keyboard?
1: no the the arpeggios are there to serve a purpose. you can't you can't have have a chord really right, right because there's not enough notes to play. So if you're using an arpeggio, you're suggesting a chord even though it's not a chord, and that's why arpeggios were used quite a lot. Because, it, again, it gave movement to the actual piece of music, it helped the tempo along, and also suggested the right chord that you wanted for the melody. And then you introduce the chord sequence, and then you could take that away because the user has already had it, and then you can start working on the melody, even if it's in isolation, that's a, a reference point from immediate memory to what it might be.
0: Right, right. So
1: it's really setting up the chords for the listener.
0: That intro song is one of the most interesting to me for the NES. uh, That I, It sounded like it broke into this unusual time signature. I'm not sure if that's really what happened, but that's what happened to my ear. Uh, I mean, a lot of it, the happy tappy tunes where you're picking your selection screen, that was just like a 4-4 jazzy shuffle going on there. But coming out of that intro part, It sounded like it chopped in a. I don't even know if it was halftime. It just sounded like it experimented with something, maybe purposefully or not purposefully. But the last thing I just want to mention about that, when you were doing the race, that really had a very dynamic range in the race itself. Like it wasn't just like. It sort of like had this movement to it first like very very sparse things happening and then and then the up tempo kicked in and then it would go yeah. back to the to the sparse thing and it really moved along that feeling around
1: there it's good to know it worked but to, to be honest i i haven't heard it since i wrote it so as soon as i, I wrote it that was the end of it i haven't heard it since so. i understand yeah go back and listen to it it's, it's not bad <laughs> <I do. laughs>
0: yeah this david wise guy he must be some new cat let's uh, give it a listen to Check it out! I, I, I it was really it was really interesting to me. In fact, uh, trying to remember a lot of these uh, uh, these titles that you were involved with brought back some very memorable little bits to them, and that was an unusual one. And I guess most people recognize you for Battle Toads and yeah. Iron Maiden Iron Sword? Sword, Iron Sword. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> I, I like Iron Sword a lot. Now, was there an Iron Sword for the Game Boy? I can't remember. Uh, I have no gone. idea. Yeah, no no okay. idea. All right, you could, did could Beetlejuice. Have been. Beetlejuice. Yes. I had never heard that one, but uh, <laughs> I make yeah, fun of so, Beetlejuice a lot.
1: <laughs> uh, a lot. A lot of the things we take. I think it was Danny Elfman. He did the score, so he'd have sent the score over for reference, and we, we try to incorporate as many tunes as possible.
0: Right now, there's a guy. Boy, does he incorporate the horns and stuff like that. When he was with the uh, Oingo Boingo, you know, oh, there, yeah. there's like a, a, you know, borderline punk band that's playing it with the horns and the, and Timps and, you know, all this other type of, type of crazy stuff. One of the genres that um, I get labeled as even is disco punk is what I like to uh, do. Yeah. It's a punk, this punk ethic inside of more of a disco thing, because you and I were composers so the disco era, you were basically the producer was doing the entire production and orchestration and all that, and then the the, the band would come in and do some stuff on top of there. But it, it was really like a one person driven type of uh, experience.
1: And that's yeah, why I don't and let
0: it, people make fun of it. So
1: mm, but <laughs> it's, it's completely talented, isn't it? Getting off you know, he's done some superb soundtracks. And Absolutely. um Dark and playful, you know, it's it's quite quite unique.
0: Right on, and actually, you're also of course known for all the Donkey Kong uh, stuff since the yeah, Donkey Kong country uh, I can I, I can remember that
1: one, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you did Star Fox Adventure. Hey,
1: how oh, yeah, about that? That was, a, that was great fun. That was that was good good to work on.
0: How was it to work with the GameCube uh, as far as music goes? How did that? that
1: well, the N sixty four was good because that was the first time we used MIDI and that was quite nice. We did Diddy Racing on there and a couple more. Right, right. And that that was good. It was we could use interact well, reactive music. That's probably the best way to explain it. So as you went along the, the music changed. But the the GameCube was probably it was a step up and a step down. We have more resources available so we have more memory.
0: Was that Red Book Audio or did you actually use like a sound chip on here?
1: Some of it streamed, so the cutscenes are streamed, but there was a system by Factor 5 that came with the GameCube that Nintendo were using, but it was quite laborious to use. So I can remember it being a lot of hard work and very frustrating. But it worked, you know, we, we could write the tunes on something else and put them in there, um, take the MIDI files and work away on those, and we could get some pretty decent sounds in there. But it just wasn't as straightforward to work on as you might imagine it should have been by that point gotcha gotcha
0: so then you get into the wii and is that when you're just doing complete reading it off the media or or are there still specially chips built for certain parts like maybe for the sound effects or something like that
1: there would have been a sound chip for the sound effects yeah and we might have used midi if it was applicable to the gameplay but on the whole as musicians, it was nice to have something that actually sounded like having a band there or having an orchestra there. Or it started to sound realistic at that point, so it was nice as a composer to work with the tools that you got for things to sound a little better anyway. I mean, when you're streaming, it can be as, you yeah, know, as good as the money you're prepared to throw at these things.
0: I have Donkey Kong Arctic Blast Freeze, which is yes, for the week. Yes, um, Tropical Freeze. That's it, that's it. Tropical Breeze Freeze. It's a great drink and a good game. So <laughs> uh, so I bought it for the Wii U because all these games are coming out for the Switch and uh, and they'd be like 30 extra dollars for the Switch where you get the used version for the Wii U. And it, the only difference was that, you know, you couldn't wear a hat, a certain hat they would add to the, yes. to the Switch version. <laughs> so, so I listened to that and I thought I still heard some synthesized stuff going on, synthesized...
1: Uh... Oh, oh, definitely, yeah. We, we tried to keep it in with some of the DKC stuff that we did done on the SNES, so it needed to sound as though it was from the same game, really. I see. But I see. We, we had a lot more freedom with the, the type of instruments we could use, like, you know, we could use real brass sections and we could use real guitars and real vocals, so we could we could dress it up.
0: And that's what confused me, because... I thought, oh, he's still using samples and, and and keyboards here. But first, let me interject: the first CD that we released had uh, Trey Gunn from King Crimson um, oh, yeah. played the, played the the stick, the Chapman Stick on it. Which I you can't say Chapman Stick without getting have to pay royalties or something. Yeah. Uh, that's why he <laughs> plays war guitar now. But uh, okay. he, so he played on three songs, and is talking about uh, the horn part I did off the EPS even back then and he goes no he corrected my my one guitarist he said no that's a horn that's a horn and those are strings didn't matter that was sampled or not it it was the idea of the sound I guess that made it that instrument it didn't matter if it was and if I was going to do a horn section with the EPS-16 and it was really some fast parts I would try to warp my blurp my fingers over top of it even if it was a dissonant or wrong note just so sort of like, uh, give it more of a real feel that that's a real horn section.
1: Yeah I think even on the N64 we were trying to add a performance to the the music rather than just have it as sequenced as possible. So we, we performed things in there we played them live. We'd use a lot of pitch bend. We'd use the modulation. We'd use every every piece of kit we could do to to interject some life into the actual main melodies because I think that really makes a huge difference.
0: Jumping back to the N64, so you said it was MIDI control, but was it a little synthesizer in there, or was it? What exactly was that? It wasn't just a so chip. So this is it? the
1: on the N64. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's called the SBC tool or something like that. It's uh, It was a chip made by Sony of all people. It's got 64K in, it's got eight monophonic channels, and it can play sample data. Um, we, we used ADPCM for it, and okay. it had its own compression thing, and when it uncompressed it, it suddenly had its own character of sound. It, would, it was sampled by four times, and it made it sound quite sick, and meaty even if you only had eight channels. so it it did sound a lot better than you thought it might that's
0: awesome i like i said i like to go in blind and really not know what the hell uh the answer is going to be yeah so so i was thinking getting back to what i was thinking because you know it's all about me i was thinking that okay still using these sample sound but then i went on your twitter and i saw that you're in front of this giant
1: orchestra what's going on there Oh, that was much later on. In fact, I was with Tommy Tallarico at that point. Um, We were in Prague recording a soundtrack for one of his albums, you know, his video game, live Albums. So I I happened to be there. Uh And I think Tommy probably even took that photo.
0: That's great. So what was your part in that?
1: I I was on my way skiing, and I said, I'll drop in and um, have a listen, so... I went over and listened to the recording that they were doing there, uh-huh. which was fun to be involved with. So I think I was there for about 24 hours, maybe 48, and they were doing, doing some other stuff as well. Very fantastic. It's always great to listen to an orchestra recording and playing live stuff, especially when it's your stuff. Absolutely. And then I got a taxi picked me up and went over to Austria.
0: Wow. So are you two in a competition for the most video game songwriting monikers?
1: I doubt it, no. I'm sure there are plenty of people who could beat me hands down for the amount. But um, I think just for the fact that we've been doing it for so long gives Uh, us a slight advantage on the numbers. And also it was quicker to do them back in the earlier days. But now you you need to really spend a bit of time to get these soundtracks done. True, true. How did
0: you get involved with making games for portable devices? I know you did Tengami for the iOS and the game Sorcery. I really wanted to get that game, but $5, uh, who can afford $5 in this economy?
1: So That's right, absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I honestly was worried about going in in a negative and that's how sad it is, but uh, cuz Sorcery looked amazing cuz it's sort of like this pop-up book type of event. Yeah,
1: yeah so it's a, it's a good game. And um Tangame that was full tossle and um for Nia yeah. I um, yeah, that's the company. And um, yeah, so it was Phil who asked me to be involved in that. And that was one of the first games I did after leaving Rare.
0: Okay. How do you do music for that? You just let it rip with however big you want to make the chunk of music?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically based in Japan. And I had a Koto sample set yes. that I had for the NES. But it wasn't quite working as in it wasn't sounding unique, um, authentic enough, because you can do certain stuff on the Koto that perhaps some sample libraries wouldn't let you do, but I was much better at programming the Halion synthesizer by Steinberg. So I took all the samples from this library that I had, and I put them onto the Halion, and it meant I could control those little bends that give it that kind of Mm -hmm, Japanese mm -hmm. flavor. It's just subtle; it's almost out of tune, but it's not. And... um, once we got those working, it, it sounded quite convincing as a Westerner, which probably <laughs> not, not to somebody from Japan, I'm sure. But for me, it, it seemed to have more of a performance element, and I was I was quite happy. So I just spent several months experimenting with Koto and sounds that kind of went with Koto, really. But we really enjoyed it.
0: Right on. Are those just like MP3 files that get shoved in there or WAVs or, yeah, they're, they're or all, something?
1: They're all wave or FLAC files or something like that.
0: Okay, okay,
1: okay. It was a good game. It's it's quite unique. I hadn't done anything like that before. And it's more of an experience rather than a romp through game. Right, right. So it it was different, different vibe. It was good.
0: Absolutely. That was another title when, because I was going back from that, I recognized that same unique type of arpeggio uh, done with that, that Kodo sound. Uh, yes. in some of your earlier earlier titles. You have a very unique type of arpeggio that is uh, effective to any style of music that you'd you done in previous titles. So uh, okay. it's very, very enjoyable.
1: Good. Thank you. I wasn't even aware of it, but yeah. you know, I'll take it. Thank you. Just an outsider
0: <laughs> looking in. Yeah, I don't know. What do I know? I'm just a musician. So <laughs> actually, I'm an IT administrator. Oh wow uh, yeah no, okay. and so the places that I've built giant server rooms for PBX everything down from the desktop to networking to Linux to uh, Mac OS and Mac servers and mail servers and all yeah I ended up shampoo their carpets the same joint had to do that okay. and I had to wash their windows that's the type of economy we're in. <laughs>
1: It is, isn't
0: it? You got to do anything you can.
1: Anything to get through. It's it's COVID. Absolutely. It's COVID world now, so we, we do what we need to.
0: It, you know, Super Meat Boy Forever was supposed to come out like three years ago, and Tommy Reffin is just sitting on this thing, and I'm like, I need to get out there so people know that I shout. They yes. pay me to shout on other things, because <laughs> on Super Meat Boy Forever, I shout a lot. I hope that that... Uh, stimulate some stuff. He said it's, it's close to being done now, but he said that three years ago. So, okay.
1: uh, <laughs> so I don't know. See, COVID has changed things for many people because not only do we need to work if you've got children who might be at college or school, then you also need to help them with their coursework and stuff like that and entertain them as well. Mm. So, it's quite hard for families at the moment because you're all grouped in the, in the same house together and it's quite a balancing act between working and looking after families and entertaining people.
0: It's a whole new world, you know, it's a whole Isn't new it? world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no matter what people say, it's like, oh, yeah. What did you do the last global pandemic? Yeah, <laughs> yeah people have a lot of these great ideas, but it's like, no, we've never done this before. So
1: we haven't. No.
0: Yeah. So here we go. We're on it's our way.
1: It's a huge learning curve. Um, I would like to think that they might get a vaccine that works. Who knows?
0: Did you get your shingles vaccine now that we're around the same age? Yeah, I must have done. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did that hurt?
1: Yeah, Sing- yeah it did. Holy there crap. Was, <laughs> there was another triple one as well that they gave you at, at school, which left a big ring in your arm. Sure, yeah, yeah. Have that. Yeah, those were uh, the days. But, <laughs> but that one is actually very good for helping to protect from covid i have heard but you know there are so many stories around covid so somehow
0: they could get the light inside in some way or maybe maybe. is it it sarah cooper
1: who does the uh yeah yeah oh she's brilliant Brilliant. she's uh, absolutely really entertains my day when i see her and she's just amazing She, she really i don't know she really brings those speeches to life and and Tell it for what it is. I mean, yeah, bless really, Mr. Trump, you know, he, he tries, but... You really yeah.
0: see how, how insane it all is and how... Ugh, well, let's not talk about that.
1: Bless than it's too depressing. We're
0: going into the future and uh, you you have some other things planned for music, for games?
1: Yeah, I mean, one, one of the projects, uh, I'm fortunate because I'm getting very busy now. At the beginning of the COVID thing, it, it all seemed to die and die off and... Mm. Most people were just taking stock of where they were and whether we were all going to die. And, you know, music probably seemed unimportant then, but we, most of us, aren't going to, and we're still going to carry on, and we're still going to want to play video games. So 14 things are being switched back on, and stuff's coming in. The, the other thing working on is with Kevin Bayliss, who did a lot of the graphics. We, we worked together for 20 years. So we're doing our own project at the moment. It started off as doing a cd and Kevin's was going to do the artwork but it's kind of got bigger than that so we're working on ideas at the moment and the the first one is called salamandos and we hope to have that ready well we hope to have it out now but obviously if you can't go and record together it makes things very difficult so we we hope to restart on that next week and uh, if we can get that recorded and out delivered then we'll It mainly came from the idea that I go around the the world, fortunately, and get to talk at lots of universities and video game shows. Okay. And and a lot of people want to buy something that you've done, sign something that you've done, and um, obviously I can't sell them something that belongs to Nintendo or somebody else. Right. So we decided it was time that we had our own product that we could market and sell, and and basically get some interest in really so that's what we've been doing so we'll be a lot happier to sign our own stuff (laughs) it's
0: it's, i only laugh because there's many times i've been on camera or on this program and said bring me a picture of a tree and i'll sign on there wiggly of super meat boy so uh, that's very funny that uh yeah you can't use other people's licensed property and
1: No, no, not at all. So it's nice to have something that's collectible, hopefully, and unique, and we're very proud of. So it'll be good to get that out to market ASAP, just so that when we're doing shows that we've we've got something that that is us and it's ours.
0: That sounds super. And anything that you need to talk about we're ready to talk with you because i love it and, and i actually wanted to get into more stuff about how you guide the player through different feelings in, in the in the game and i don't even know if that can be explained but one thing i do know is that you definitely do that and that's something that i really appreciate it it's not i really appreciate it uh, yeah you know, it's just that, not. That, a, that's
1: normal of it You're just very briefly it's about anticipating what the player might be coming up against next so it's suggested <laughs> Just a a little technique that's pinched from films, really. Yeah. And it's part of the fun of writing video games as well. It's a bit more involved than writing for film or for cartoons or anything like that. There are so many ways things can go. So it's nice to have little hints in there, little suggestions.
0: Yes, yes. David, where Um, can people go to get, I was going to say get wise, and I'm like, oh, I'm so stupid. Uh, (laughs) But where can people go to find out about what you're doing? I know you're on Twitter. I followed you on there, even though I, I think I have six followers, I, I quit every social okay. media I could because, you know, that's what you should do when you create media, is quit everything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where can people to find out what you're up to?
1: Well, there is Twitter, uh, David underscore Wise. I'm on Facebook. I need to get on Instagram. That's this next week's job. I'll probably start doing that as well. And there's my website, davidwise.co.uk. We'll be making a noise as soon as we've got this stuff ready for the project that we're releasing called Salamandos. So we'll be making a lot of noise then.
0: Yeah, well, we'll promote it, that's for sure. We have a thing, too, that a couple people are subscribed to. So uh, thank you so very much for being on the show. And it it was great for me because I got to talk about something I like to do.
1: Mm. Great well thank you very much for inviting me it's been an absolute pleasure and I can't wait to talk to you more when we've got this thing ready to roll which will hopefully be later this year
0: fantastic well I hope you like us bye bye